looking at verse 7 and onward today. I have a question. I like to start with the questions because it sometimes kickstarts our thinking. And the question I really have for you is, if I were to ask you this morning, what is the most heinous sin anyone could ever commit that has soul-damning effects to it? What would you say? If you think for a moment, what, what do you think you would say? Don't say it, of course, out loud. Some may say murder. Some may say adultery. And the list could go on. But you know that the wickedest sin that anyone could ever commit before God is the sin of unbelief. Unbelief will damn your soul for all eternity. This section of Scripture is about that. That is the main point. Now, the admonition last week was to be prepared to hold fast our confession right until the end. The need to trust and obey God's message rather than disobey and turn away from Him is a paramount consideration, especially in light of an example we have from the Old Testament, which we'll look at this morning. That the demise of the, the wilderness community who rebelled against God rather than obey His Word under God's chosen mediator, Moses. The appeal to believers is not to rebel, not to disbelieve like the wilderness community, but rather obey God, to trust God, trust His promises, trust the promises mediated through one greater than Moses, Jesus Christ. That's where it's bringing us today. That's the focus of this passage of Scripture. The passage before us are actually intended to counter the propensity all human beings have to deliberate unbelief. We are wired because of sin for unbelief. We are wired for rebellion because of sin, because of the fall. See, rebellion is in us. In other words, the admonition for us this morning will be, don't follow the disobedience of others. Don't follow in their steps. Don't follow in their paths. In the case of these Jewish believers, it was the evil ways of their forefathers who did not heed God's voice and resolve to do God's will, will as declared by His voice. Look at verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 7 through 9 says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Verse 9, where your forefathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Now, you see, when you hear preaching from God's Word, you are actually hearing the voice of God. Now, of course, that's only if it's true preaching. That's only if it's coming from the Word of God. That's only if the intended point of the message comes from scripture god's word when god's word is preached you are hearing god's voice every time i study i pray lord get me out of the way so they may hear your voice so your people may respond to your voice and not mine see the holy spirit in verse number seven means god himself when you hear the voice of God, it is speaking of the voice of His will, what God wants you to know. If God has 
completely and finally spoken to uh, through his son and in his son. Because he has unique supremacy over all things, then it must follow from those who hear his voice that we must give absolute trust to what God says, that we must give absolute obedience to what God says. And that's without having all our questions answered, just trusting God in his very word and character, that if God says to make a left turn, make it, and it will be all right, because you can trust him. And then as you go along and follow him, he fills in the blanks. He answers your questions from what the rest of the scripture tells us. See, that is where God wants us to bring us. Now, if not, if disobedience is in us, then we will bear the results of that. If obedience and trust is not given to him, then the consequences are bound to be awful. Look at verse 10 and 11. I just want to read them before I explain them. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways. In verse 11, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. See, that becomes the very warning, the second warning of Hebrews. And these warnings are, are very, very heavy. They're, they're, they should convict our hearts deeply that, brethren, every single one of us are guilty of this sin. But we don't have to stay there. That's the point. Look at the example of these people in the wilderness and don't go there. Don't follow their example, but go the other way. Run the other way and follow God. Well, let's take a look at, at this before we look at our Hebrews text. I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to look at, at Old Testament text. This, uh, and let's look at the sin of the people long ago. What was their sin? Look, at, look first of all, in Exodus chapter 1. Excuse me, Exodus chapter 17. Verse number 1 through 7. I, I want you to see that in this passage, there's... This is a rebellious incident spoken here by God's Spirit to the people. And we're asked to give urgent consideration of what's written here in the text. But what was their sin? How does unbelief actually look in response to God? Well, we're going to pick some things out as we read. Look at verse 1 of Exodus 17. Then all the congregations of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Verse 2, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Verse 3, then the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, let me just stop there for a minute. In that passage of Scripture, we saw that they quarreled against Moses. They grumbled against Moses. They tested God. And then they finally questioned and says, is God among us or not? Are we going to die here in the wilderness? What kind of God is this God? Brethren, that's unbelief. That's not trusting God. That God can bring 
water out of a rock. God knows where the water is. He put it there. God knows our deepest needs. We need just to trust him. Well, let's look at another passage before we go on. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 through 4. I won't read the whole passage here. And then verse 11, and then verse 21 through 23. Numbers 14, again, the same incident. This is what he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 3. It says in verse number 1 of Numbers 14, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Down to verse number 11 of Numbers 14. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. Now, brethren, stop for a minute. They refused to acknowledge the awesome deliverance of God from Egypt to the wilderness. God parted the Red Sea for them. He allowed the Red Sea uh, to walk. They walked across on dry land. Then he allowed the waters to consume the Egyptian army. He delivered them. Also, they refused to acknowledge God's constant presence with them while in the wilderness. He gave them the law. Like no other nations, he put his, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, right in the middle when Moses built the tabernacle, that God was among them like God was among no other nations. And he blessed them there. He forgave their sin there. And then God didn't allow their shoes to wear out. He fed them with manna from heaven. And he promised them that he would lead them to a land that's going to be much greater than what they knew in Egypt, the land of Canaan, a land of milk and honey, a land of blessing, a land in which you're going to go in and you're going to defeat all the enemies there and it's going to be your land because it's my land and I'm going to give it to you. And it's going to be the promised land. All those things God did and more. Those are just a few things. And they saw it every single day, the presence of God, the power of God, the supply of God. And even in that, they concluded that God wasn't good, that he wasn't gracious. Look at verse 21 of Numbers 14. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Verse 22. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me. So it is clear in Scripture, and if you'd like to flip over to Numbers chapter 20, it is clear that the people didn't quarrel with Moses. Of course, they did. But when they quarreled with God's appointed leader, who are they really quarreling with? They're quarreling with God himself. And it says in Numbers chapter 20, those, verse 13, those were the waters of Meribah because the sons of Israel contended or quarreled with the Lord and he proved himself holy among them. And wasn't it the prophet Isaiah who said, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthen vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Brethren, that is their sin. So every time you complain, every time you grumble, Every time you think in your heart, you're getting the short end of the stick. 
and you're a believer and you know Christ and you know the riches of the word of God and the the greatness of salvation and you continue on that is just a neon sign saying unbelief 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 don't go there don't allow yourself to go there the spirit of God and the word of God is given to us so we don't have to go there now Turn back in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. And let's look and notice the judgment that follows their unbelief. Recorded in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 3. Here's the judgment. So this sin of unbelief that is looked looked at in grumbling and complaining and questioning God and spurning God and testing God and not listening to his voice and doing all those things, that will always bring the judgment of God. In fact, the word of God says that God swore. If you know anything about swearing in the Old Testament, that if you swear, you have to carry out what you say. And if God swears, it's not like us swearing. When God swears, he absolutely means what he says. He is bound by it because of who he is. Look what it says in verse 11. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, he is quoting here, remember, from the Septuagint. That's the Old Testament translation of the Greek, right? Old Testament written in Hebrew, it's translated into Greek which was the New Testament, is the Koine Greek. All right, so he's reading from that translation, all right, which, of course, shows of the Sinai wilderness community. And in this psalm, Psalm 95, he's actually quoting in the Septuagint, it's recognized, Psalm 95 is recognized as the psalm of ascent. Now, what that means is that they sung as the pilgrims went to Jerusalem about three times a year for the different feasts, they would, as they were going in the caravans to go to Jerusalem, they would sing this psalm, Psalm 95. And although this particular psalm begins with praise to the Creator and to the King, it shifts with a warning for the worshipers not to harden their hearts and therefore forfeit their opportunity to enter God's place of rest, namely when they went to Jerusalem, it was the temple sanctuary, that they were allowed in as they brought their sacrifices, as they approached God in the correct manner, according to way God said, how God said to approach him, and that they were entered in. It, was a, it would be a place of blessing. And so, but this warning is connected there. Let me read to you Psalm 95 from the Septuagint. It says, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation according to the day of irritation in the wilderness, where your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works. Forty years was I grieved with this generation and said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. In verse 11, surely I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my, re- my, my rest. So it's not much different than he is, he's quoting from that right here in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 3. It's, it's almost exactly of what it says there. He leaves out the first part there because that's not the point of his message here. So the deduction that we make from this past event is that disobedience and distrust, the distrust of Israel, excluded them from the blessing of God that they might have enjoyed if they were obedient. So unbelief robs us of what God actually has for us. Stay away from that sin. So for 40, the entire 40 years under faithful Moses, the people's hearts were hard, unyielding, embittered against God because of the hardships of the wilderness, and they tempted and tried out God. They tried out God while they were debating whether they should accept Him or not. Whether they should say, is this God going to be our God or not? Should we 
have him as our God? And they would compare him to the other gods in the other nations, and they liked what was going on in those other nations because those people were sinful, and they, these people in unbelief were sinful, and so therefore they desired what they had and not what God was giving them. In fact, when the Lord says, you'll be excluded from my rest, he means his own rest. The place where he lives, the place where he makes himself known to his people, the place where if you are not believing in him, you will not enter. So that was the judgment. Excluded from God. Could anything be more horrible than that? I don't think so. I really don't think so. But it doesn't have to be your story. Your story this morning could be belief and faith and obedience and from your heart wanting to hear God's voice and put it into practice. All right, now, let's see now God's evaluation of where sin originates. You know where sin originates? Sin originates right inside here. Right here. Your heart, your mind, your emotion, your will. Look what it says in verse number 10 of Hebrews chapter 3. This is also verse 10 of Psalm 95. It says, therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, here are two things. God being angry means that God was also disgusted. It's translated that way too. He was disgusted. He was grieved. Now, why was he grieved? Well, there's two reasons given why he was grieved. Number one, it says there in verse number 10, they always go astray in their heart. They always err, as Psalm 95 in the Septuagint says, in their heart. That was mean, it means the whole manner of their life was disobedience. Every day, every night, every month, every year, for 40 years, they disobeyed. Now, they might have gone through the motions, but in their heart, God sees the heart. Well, we can be great actors. We can, we can, we can fool a lot of people around us, but you can't fool God when it comes to what's going on in your heart. See, do you really believe him or not? He knows that. And you know what? You know that too. They're constantly getting it wrong in the seat of their feelings, their mind, and their will. They wander into error like planets out of their orbit. They're always looking somewhere else for satisfaction instead of up to God. That's what unbelief is. Always looking back to Egypt. Boy, when I was in Egypt, yeah, I was in 40, 400 years of bondage and slavery, but when I forgot all that, but man, I that, that quail, ooh, that was good. I had a bed to sleep in every night and have to sleep in these tents. See, they, they remembered those things, but they didn't remember the bitter bondage they were in. They only remembered what lusts they could fulfill, what passions were fulfilled in Egypt. See, their hearts often judged sin and rebellion were better for them than faith, submission, and obedience to a good and a holy and a compassionate God. And there's always a sense of hopelessness, hopelessness with people like these. They like the ways of sin. And if you like the ways of sin, you will dislike the ways of God. See, they always go astray in their heart. They always take the wrong path in their heart. What they're thinking, what they really want in their heart. Go to, going to church, reading the Bible, doing all those things. But what's really going on in your heart? That's what God knows. That's what you have to weed out. That's what the Spirit of God wants to weed out of you and, and drive it far from you. And when you ever see that sin going on, run as fast as you can away from it. A second thing, though, he says about why he was disgusted was in verse number 10, 
the last part of the verse, it says, and they did not know my ways. They didn't know my ways. Oh, now, don't get it wrong here. They, they knew God's ways intellectually. They just refused to know them as their own. They refused to know them as so to walk in them. Because they didn't really want to do it. That's why they always resisted the visible leader, Moses. And they rebelled against him and they, they grumbled against him and they complained against him and they, they went against him. Why? Because that's what was really going on in their heart. So if you and I ever see in our own lives grumbling and complaining and all those things, then it's just showing we're not trusting God. We want something else than what God has for us. And we'll never know what it is because of unbelief. So the application to this demise of the people in the wilderness is a warning. Don't repeat their sinful patterns. Don't go there. Why? Because it's already been identified and judged as a sin that is soul damning. Don't go there. So how can we avoid grieving God in this way? That's the question that comes up in verse 12 through 19. How can we avoid that? Well, first, I want you to notice an exhortation to avoid this evil. Now, you first have to look at unbelief as evil. Matter of fact, as, as the supreme level of evil. Look what he says in verse number 12. Take care. Brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now, several translations have put the in the beginning something like, see to it. In fact, what he's saying that in this congregation, in this Hebrew congregation that is now being tested as to their belief in Christ, as to their belief in the high priest, as to their belief in Jesus Christ as the, as the apostle, as the supreme one over all things, their faith is being tested. And he is saying to them, listen, don't go there. Why? Because this sin of unbelief is evil. So see to it that you watch out for one another and that if you see the sin of unbelief going on in anybody, go to them. Identify it to them. Watch out for each other so that there will exist no unbelief amongst the congregation of people. Because it is such a damning and deadly and cancerous sin, it takes over everything. And the worst thing you'll see about this sin is coming up. But the term here, it says, an evil, unbelieving heart. That word heart is the word that means the center or the source of inner life. See, the trouble with unbelief is that it's always in the heart. It's always in the will, the mind the emotions, the desires, the passions that are in the people. And let me say something that is very hard yet scripturally true, that the greatest wickedness that exists is unbelief. Unbelief is a special evil. That's why the scriptures tell us to take care, brethren, that there not be any in any one of you, and what? An evil, unbelieving heart. Unbelief tends to make the heart evil. And an evil heart has a tendency to turn away from the living God, and there is the destruction. Turning from a God who's great, who's awesome, who's dreadful at the same time, who's able to punish and avenge their sin for all eternity, to not believe him. To not believe in Christ, God's ultimate plan. 
will always lead people away. In fact, anytime someone backslides, anytime, whether that backsliding is gradual or total, behind it lies unbelief. Behind it lies a dissatisfaction with what God's voice has, has communicated to you. Apostasy from the profession of the gospel, of course, is in mind here. Remember in Luke, in the parable of the sower, where it said this, those on rocky soil are those who, when they hear and receive the word with joy, they have no firm root. They believe for what? A while. And in time of temptation, what do they do? Fall away. See, not believing Moses, God's faithful apostle and mediator, is one thing. But not believing the greater than Moses, the faithful apostle and high priest Jesus Christ, is quite another thing, even though they're similar. Because, in a sense, Moses, those people back then, had a chance. Those who reject Christ have no chance. Isn't this a sad commentary, often repeated today, that people hear the message on how God provides deliverance, they dismiss it and set it aside as as if it doesn't really apply to them. And what they're really expressing is just unbelief. I don't believe that. You can believe that if you want to believe that, but I can't believe that. I won't believe that. But if you remember back in Acts, Chapter 7, there were several, several things that were given there that give, had, really gave a good indication that when somebody gets on the path of unbelief, certain things happen. A first thing that happens, if you like to turn there, in Acts chapter 7, verse 39, is this, that people who get on the path of unbelief will turn their affections toward the world and what the world has to offer. They will turn actually to serve and celebrate what their own hands can create instead of the true and living God. In Acts 7, verse 39, this is, of course, a rejection of Moses here. It says in verse 39, Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him in their hearts, turning back to Egypt. Verse 40, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt we do not know what what happened to him verse 41 at that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to I to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands so what will people do they'll turn their affections to the world and to their own creations of gods however you want to design and create your god well that's who I'll worship because then I can control that God. I can love that God. I can do anything I want with that God because there's no standard. There's no conviction. So humans will idolize wisdom from some human source. People follow gurus and imams and priests and shaman guides. They follow articulate professors, feisty talk show hosts. These become our moral compass of the day. They worship everything that the culture says is good to worship, but they don't worship the true and living God. A second thing to notice that if someone gets on the path of unbelief, that God will turn from them. He'll turn away and he'll give them up to their own twisted desires. It says in Acts chapter 7, verse 42, but God turned away. And deliver them up to serve the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. It was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it? O house of Israel, you also took along the tabernacle of Molech, the star of the god Ramphah, the images which you made to worship. It also were, were, I also will remove you beyond Babylon. In other words, God gives them up to themselves. You want to live like that? You want to worship those kind of gods? 
then I'll give you up to those kind of gods. And you know what's going to happen. You'll be destroyed. You'll not enter into God's rest. So see, this sin is a very evil sin. It is a wicked sin because it not only brings the wrath of God, but it also brings people and leads people away from God's voice, away from the path of righteousness, away from blessing, away from ultimate salvation. It leads them that way, and it heaps destruction as they go along. So looking outside of God's plan for deliverance and blessing always leads to further bondage, not freedom. You say, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. Unbelief leads away from following the path of the Lord. I got it. Enough. But what do you do about it then? What do you do about it? Verse number 13 of Hebrews. This is what you do. This is preventive medicine. Here's the useful way to prevent such evil. This is within the congregation, within your own heart and within the whole congregation. Look what it says. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The preventive medicine is this. Encourage one another. And do it regularly. What are we to do regularly? Urge each other to continue in the faith toward God and not fall into judgment by turning away from his full and perfect provision for sins through his son, Jesus Christ, the high priest. See, salvation is not only a present experience, but it is a future gift. Always remind people of that. Yes, you may be going through difficult times. Yes, you may be going through trouble. Yes, your faith may be tested. But listen, there's a present experience, but there is a future gift God promised us. He's given us the Spirit as a down payment as to what will be. What's to come. We're to encourage one another also, if you look at this verse to prevent the hardening of the heart. If you think it fitting to obey God's voice, that is understanding, choosing, and resolve to do God's will. And if you want to do that, and you choose to do that, beware of what will hinder you in that endeavor. We're going to get to Hebrews chapter 12 where it says to lay aside the sin that so easily besets you and that entangles you from running the race. He is saying in this passage of Scripture, today, while it's called today, right now, don't let it go. Always be watching for this particular sin in your heart, in the congregation. Why? So you don't get pulled away by, it says, the deceitfulness of sin. Avoid sin's tricks. The way sin works is through deceit. It presents to you something that is enticing, that is desirable to your passions and your lust, to what you really want, to what it is to be human. That's what sin is. See, it, it's placed before you. It's dangled before you. Money can solve all my problems. Just give me enough of it and I'll be happy. Pleasure. When I'm young, I want to I I get all the pleasure I can because that's what everybody else around me is doing. That's what the world's doing. And they look happy. And so, see, you get pulled in and lured in by this imagery that only leads to destruction. It leads to entering into sinful relationships that causes young women and men to be in bondage in their life. 
because they got their life so entangled with this hope that this will be something that will give me pleasure and fulfill all my desires that they get hooked, get pulled in, and they reap the results of sin. Friends who seem to have it all, who look like they're having fun, but they're only worldly and not godly. And the godly ones don't look like they're, well, they should, be look, they should look like they're having fun. Because you know what? It is fun to be a Christian. It really is. God meets all our needs as a Christian. In fact, the very word here, deceit, the word, the derivative of this word means to draw anyone out of the right way. A way that will lead to wandering away from God's message and God's messenger. And the sin intended here in this passage of Scripture is the sin that lives in us by nature. That's, that's when, when we want to do good, sin is present with us. It's the principle of sin in every one of us. See, always going somewhere else looking for satisfaction and fulfillment instead of God, instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you know what we conclude? God doesn't understand what I'm going through. God really can't help me. I don't even think God really cares. All of them are lies. Every single one of them. Because if you are a believer, you know God's word, you know That's not true. You know, what God says is going to come to pass. All of it is true. In fact, here's the reason why we should heed and practice the the exhortation for avoiding this wandering away from God because believers enter into a partnership like no one else enters into. Look at verse number 14. It says, Notice what it says here. If you want to know who the audience he's speaking to, it says, for we have become partakers of Christ. So he's talking to believers. He's talking to Jewish believers who have come to Christ. It says, but he says this, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. So those who are partakers of Christ, who become partakers of Christ. Well, who exactly is responsible for maintaining one's partnership with the Son? Is it the believer? Is it you and I that maintains it or our faith in God? Or is it God who secures the believer? Which one is it? Well, I think what we find in this passage of Scripture is that the evidence will lead to an inference In other words, if you are following the Lord, if you are obeying him, not perfectly, but consistently in your life, he's not talking in this passage of Scripture with bouts of unbelief. We all have bouts of unbelief. He's talking about a set, firm, established unbelief that's not going back. That's what he's talking about here. We can all be rescued from bouts of unbelief, And the reason why is because there's evidence that shows that we're partners with Christ. I think, firstly, their endurance through temptations will be evidence of their vital connection to Christ. If you have gone through a test, if you have gone through trouble in your life and you're still following Christ, you may be wobbling, but you're following. You still know it's the truth. You don't want to go back the other way. You know there's nothing back there then see, that's evidence that Christ is holding you. That is evidence that you have a vital connection to Christ. One person said this, holding fast, their assurance will reveal the reality they have already come to share in Christ by continuing in the faith. They demonstrate the work of Christ has already begun and will certainly be accomplished in them. A second thing is the nature of Christ's high priestly work means... Remember, we've been talking about Christ as a high priest. It means that having started on the path of faith, that believers can and must continue to the end. 
In other words, they can continue. You can continue. Not, not by human ability or effort, adding their part to God's, but by sustaining grace and by the intercession of their faithful and merciful high priest and the power of God at work in them. God keeps us. The Jesus Christ as high priest intercedes for us that we what? Would remain faithful. Look quickly over to chapter 4 of Hebrews, the last three verses. When I get there, notice what it says. It says, therefore, Hebrews 4, 14, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yes, when I get into the place where I'm wobbling in my unbelief, God will help me to continue on through my trial, through my tribulation, through my temptation, and keep me standing. When the smoke clears in battle, you'll be standing. That's the promise we have. See, but you have to believe. Because if you don't believe that, then see, it's all going to be about you and not about what God's done. We all go running to all these other places instead of coming to God on our face in prayer and saying, Lord, help me. You understand my situation? Lord, help my unbelief. Help me when I get to the point that life leaves me for dead. It doesn't seem like I have hope to go on. Help me, Lord. Strengthen and bolster my faith right there. Don't let me turn away from you. Don't let me turn away from you. Hold me. See, really our part is prayer to our high priest. And he answers us and he holds us. And what he does, we persevere in our Christian faith up and down right to the end. He takes us into what? His place of rest. His place of rest. That's what he does. All right, now. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 3, we come again to the subject where he started. And the subject is this, hearing God's voice. And he becomes very personal to his audience now in verse 15. And he says this, are you listening? Verse 15, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Are you listening do you hear God's voice? And when we do hear God's voice, when should we act? Does it give us any indication in Scripture when we should act? It says, five-letter word there, while, he said, while it is said today, if you hear God's voice, right? Today. Today means while you're alive. While there's yet time, right now. Give God the trust and obedience that he must have. Give it to him while you have a chance. Give him the submission. You ought to give him before your days come to a close and you close your eyes in death. And you don't know when that will be. I don't know when that will be. Do you? So you're saying, listen, you know what the time is to listen to God's voice and serve him? Now. Right now. You know what, knowing the day is to obey him? Right now. Now, I was really surprised. You know, my father, when he died, it was a surprise to everyone. Because my father was so fit. He was a 79-year-old fit guy. Solid. Healthy. My father never... I don't, I don't remember him ever taking an aspirin or ever said he had a, had a headache. But God said it's time, and he took him. 
just like that. So for my father, he didn't have March 7th as the next day. March 6th was his last day. God knew that. He didn't know that. But see, the point, the point is this. Whenever the time is, are you serving God now? Is it, are you serving Him today? Are you listening to His voice right now? Because if you sit there and don't listen and don't listen and don't listen and just exist and don't respond, then this is the inevitable response of not responding. Know what it is? A hard heart. Look what it says in the text. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. You'll do the same thing they did to me in the wilderness. Don't do that. The expression, don't, do not harden, signifies the inability of anything to receive an impression from what is applied to it. In other words, it's like wax that has gone hard and it cannot receive the impression from a seal that is pressed into it. Or it's like cement that has set and can, can no longer be shaped and moved by the trowel. Or it's like when God's great salvation and His commands and His promises and His warnings are presented to you, to your soul, to be obeyed by the Holy Spirit, and God's voice is unheeded and His will is undone. That is, person is said in Scripture to resist the Holy Spirit. And if any person continues in that resistance of the Holy Spirit, that person will be damned in their unbelief. You see, it's a hard message, but it's the warning that God wants us to hear. We need hard warnings to keep us moving, to keep us examining ourselves to bring us to a place where we are encouraging one another to, to continue on in the faith. One day I feel like I can't continue on, but somebody comes along and says, you know what, continue on, I'll hold you up, let's talk about it, let's pray about it, let's go to the passages of Scripture, let me just be there for you, and therefore my, I'm strengthened and encouraged and I go on, and then a year later that person is, and I come alongside them, it works, it's back and forth in the church, that's what the church ought to do until we... Move right to the end. And so this is how this section of Scripture ends. And he's going to pick it up. We're not done with this yet. But it ends this. A bunch of rhetorical questions and the answers to those questions built into the questions. In verse number 16, these are actually designed for believers not to repeat the recorded mistakes. The first one is the people of Kadesh Barnea were offered a promise from God, yet they hardened their hearts and rebelled against God. It says, verse 16, For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And then secondly, their deliberate disobedience, in verse 17, they distrusted and angered God. And it says, And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, died there in the wilderness? They didn't make it to the promised land. And thirdly, that God swore that these rebels would never enter into the place of rest that he promised. Verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Brethren, they never entered into the place of rest he had promised. Joshua, Caleb, and those who I believe were under 20 years old entered in who didn't rebel against the Lord. And you say, the bottom line is this, that I started out. Why didn't they enter in? Why didn't they enter into the place of promise and blessing and enjoyment and to real, really reap the benefits of following God's voice and obeying him and just coming into the land and feeling completely blessed. Why didn't they enter? What's the bottom line? 
Look at verse 19. Why? So you see that they were not able to enter because of what? Unbelief. You see how damning that sin is? It's the most damning sin ever. And some people can be great people. Honest people, moral people, religious people. And still they do not really believe. And God knows it in their heart. And they'll die as a good person. And people will have many good words to say about them. Eulogy means good words. And yet, in God's judgment, they have not believed. And therefore, under God's wrath forever. That's a horrible thought. So, brethren, trust is necessary. We must believe God's word is true. That all of what God says is true. Obedience is necessary. Obedience, to me, really makes trust a reality. It's the practical part of believing. And there's another thing to consider, that grace will run out. To the offer of God, there is a limit. That limit is the duration of life. We we never know when the limit will be reached. We cannot be sure that there will be a tomorrow for any one of us. So trust in the Lord before it's too late. First, believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Follow him. And if you believed, then trust him the rest of your days before the efforts of grace are exhausted because someday there will be. Some, someday God will say, that's it, it's enough. No more gospel preaching. It will come to an end, it will be done. So let's together endeavor to encourage each other to continue on with the Lord and to watch out for each other if we see someone being led away from the Lord by the deceitfulness of the sin of unbelief. Let's catch it. Let's pray that it doesn't happen. And let's rescue people as the Lord gives us strength to do so. Amen? Hard, but so needed for us in every generation. The second warning, let's not go there. Let me pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the word of God. Even though, Lord, contained therein is hard things. Lord, you, by your providence and will, put it here for us. And Lord, I'm, I'm thanking you for it. For, I, Lord, I have seen even in my own life pictures of unbelief complaining and grumbling in my heart. I pray, Lord, you'd forgive me. Keep me from this evil sin. Keep me from this sin that leads me away from you, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give us all the strength to be able to identify this particular sin and confess it and put it away from it us and watch it so lord we don't get hooked by it and be led astray by it enable us to be encouragers enable us to be aware of each other's lives so we can watch out for each other i pray this for us lord keep us from this sin and lord i pray that we would learn to trust you and love you and love your voice when the word of god is spoken and love to obey it, and love to go out on the limb by in, in faith, because we know we can trust you if that be your will for us to do this or that. And Lord, I praise you for all the good things that you're going to bestow upon us, that you already have bestowed upon us, and that you will in the days to come. And then ultimately, Lord, in the kingdom of God, we are going to receive the full blessing and presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to that. 
We ask you, Lord, to bless us and keep us faithful. Hold us up, Lord, as our high priest intercede for us so we don't throw in the towel, so we don't fall away, so we continue to march right until the end, faithful in our profession, holding fast to our Lord Jesus Christ and all he's done for us, knowing that in Christ we have eternal salvation. We give you glory and praise for all that you have and will do. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.